Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Are you are you a sexual person? Yeah. Right. Okay. Very much so. Okay. I mean, it's uh, yeah, because I'm not really a big drinker. I'm not, I've never been a druggie. All of those things, but I certainly. <laughs> this is where the energy goes. Right. Exactly. So yes, I there would have been a time in my forties when I. Uh, yeah, I had a ridiculous amount of sex. Absolutely. I mean, and, and enjoyed every. You know, second this is of it. going on the top of the episode. This is our promo. <laughs> it's just perfect. That, that's your decision, <laughs> not mine. Well, I was true to my word on that one, but it is the perfect opening clip for the episode because singer and songwriter Brian Kennedy is one of the most. He's definitely one of the most open honest, heart-on-the-sleeve people you will ever meet. Um, And that's why I loved talking to him. He's very giving as an interviewer, or as an interviewee, a bit like me. And boy, does he have a powerful story to share. It's pretty well known that Brian has had a lot of health issues over the last years. Uh, But he definitely doesn't want to be defined by those health issues because he's had such an amazing career. We do briefly touch on this part of his story, but we spend most of our time together chatting about the things you may not know about Brian. How he grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home. Again, a bit like me. During a very dysfunctional time in Belfast, of course. Um, how a teacher in his school discovered Brian's voice and set him on the path he follows to this day. Reconciling with a brother he didn't talk to for years. And so many other very personal and poignant stories. But Brian being Brian, we also have some great crack too. And I must say, he has a brilliant sense of humour. There was a lovely wee fella from the Philippines who was looking after us and he kept saying to me, Brian, Brian, you're a vision, you're a vision. And this wee woman who was two beds along to me said, why is he calling you a vision? (laughs) And I said, no, he means he loves your vision. (laughs) The things that happen to you in ICU, I'm telling you. And he goes, Brian, have you met me friend, uh, Robbie Fowler? (laughs) Right. And I said, me thinking I'm hilarious crack. I said, imagine if he was a footballer, like with a name like Fowler. (laughs) Wouldn't that be brilliant? And they were all just like, you fucking idiot. (laughs) I grew up in a very violent home and a very violent place outside the home. So there was nowhere for me to take any kind of safety. I understand. Until I was singing. Boys had short hair, girls had long hair. Boys played football, girls skipped and roped and, you know, so that's the environment I grew up in. Now, throw in heavy Catholicism into that mix. You know, you weren't even allowed to be straight, never mind gay. So you you can imagine, like they couldn't even get their heads around heterosexuality, (laughs) never mind any other version of it, right? My full chat with Brian shortly, but listen, let's go over to the comedy lab now because uh, we understand that the RTE presenter salaries um, have been released this week annual uh, RTE presenter salaries, top presenter salaries. And I think there is, uh, we can go over to Leopardstown now, South County Dublin. I think there's a horse race going on. Let's join it right there to see wh- how it is. Des Scal And they're under starters orders in this annual RTE presenters salaries chase. This event worth over 3.5 million to the 10 riders really takes your breath away. They're coming around now and they're off. And first to show is George Lee on 179k. Doom and gloom. George Lee, closely followed by Dara Maloney, sitting pretty on 183k. Mbappe! George Lee, 179. Dara Maloney, 183. Mbappe! Neither of them seem to be working particularly hard so far. Doomed. Here comes Brian Dobson now into third on 209k. Brian Dobson. The headlines. 209k and Brendan O'Connor on 245,000. Come here. Brendan O'Connor sitting pretty on 245. Dara Maloney. Come here. Looks a bit out of it. 
at the moment. George Lee looks out of his league on 179,000. Here comes Miriam O'Callaghan asking a question on 263. Brendan O'Connor. Brendan Claire Byrne. Where did she come from? Claire Byrne on 350. 350, Claire Byrne. But here comes Ray Darcy. Ray Darcy, 305k. Last year he was 450. His second place he had. Now he's down to 305. Joe Duffy on 351. Here comes Joe Duffy. Brendan O'Connor on 245. And here comes Ryan Tuberty on Tuberty's Land. Tuberty's Land, 440k. Tuberty's Land. Goes by them like a train. Tuberty's Land, take it out of that. 440k for one year's work. Let's face it. We all feel like we've been taken for a ride after this one. <laughs> yes, indeed, you're listening to the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Winner of Top Comedy Podcast at this year's Irish Podcast Awards 2022. Thank you. By the way, exclusive comedy, as you just heard, on the Mario Rosenstock podcast every week. And thank you for getting involved. If you want to see me on tour, uh, I'm on tour uh, starting this Friday. Uh, the 24th in Castle Bar, Royal Theatre, and all around the country. I'm in Killarney, Dublin for three nights, Cork for four nights, the Cork Opera House, Olympia in Dublin, uh, Waterford, Mullingar, uh, Kilkenny, Limerick, Galway, Sligo, um, Athlone, you name it. But anyway, that's me. If you want to contact me, at uh, GiftGrubMario, at GiftGrubMario on Twitter, and uh, MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all. Um... So anyway, Brian Kennedy, as I mentioned early, earlier, he's such a great talker and a very open, honest and giving interviewee. And we sort of started by digging into that a little bit. So, Brian, listen, thanks for coming on. Do you know why you're on this podcast? I don't really, Mario. But I'm, I'm, I think you're a great conversationalist. OK, thanks. OK. And in fact, I know you're a great I conversationalist. I think the same of you, which is why I wanted to do it, because, you know, I've been listening to you in various guises over the years, of course. But I just thought, I wonder, would the podcast be a completely new level of Mario? You know, oh, it is. Am yeah. I going to learn something about you today? Oh, you might. Yeah, you might. Yeah. You might. Oh, in fact, you will actually, if, I, if if my plans go according to plan. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I really enjoyed talking to you on the Sunday roast a few years ago, yes. and then I've listened to you on various different things, and um, I just think you've 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 got you've become a bit of a master at this now in the last fifteen ten years. Mm-hmm. That you I've really you really enjoy this thing of coming on and talking to people. I love it. Mm. I love it. I mean, I think, you know, I came from a big family on the Falls Road. So six kids, you know, two parents, or as I say, two older kids, um, you know, God love them, kids having kids, you know. And so the whole thing was about how do you get a word in? How do you st- also, how do you stand out from the rest of them and all that stuff? And I was a singer from the get go, really. But I didn't know that. I didn't know what a singer was. But I certainly knew um, you had to make something happen in order to be heard and understood, you know. Yeah, I did the same myself, actually. Mm. Um I started doing impressions of my parents who were arguing with each other right. when I was about five. Uh-huh. Um, and I said this to you on your podcast yes, with Catherine. Right. I remember this. And it was captivating. And it was to gain attention. And then I, knew, I noticed that it had power. Yeah. And then after that, I, I registered that that thing that I was doing had a certain power. Well, you were doing impressions. I started singing. That's right. So I started like, for example, there'd be the old fashioned Nino, Nino ambulance coming down the road. And I'd be standing at, you know, uh, it was a ghettoization of what it was. We were standing at a turnstile and only we that only happened in West Belfast into the town. So I had to stand in a queue in the, to get through the turnstile to get into the city centre to pay off my granny's rent arrears or something in the lashing rain, you know, mm. or the snow or the bacon sunshine, whatever it was. And so I was standing there and I'd hear this, Nina, Nina. My reaction to that sound was to think of a harmony. Now, why yeah. on earth would I do that? 
if I was my own therapist, which yeah. I am, I would say there's that wonderful, wonderful, you know, film, The Sound of Music, where she goes, whenever I feel afraid, I whistle a happy tune, you know. And so I think that's my version of that. Like I hear an ambulance that means, oh, God, somebody's been shot again. Somebody's been blown up again. But and also because I lived on the Falls Road, the Royal Victoria Hospital is right there. But what did I do with that information? I somehow made it less scary using my voice. Brian, you leveraged you leveraged heartache and misery into music. I seem to have done that. That's really nice. Uh, well, I mean, it's a survival technique, isn't yeah. it? You either go, you know, you swim or you or you sink. Yeah. What, what age did you first realize, um, and how did you realize mm. you could even hold a note? Uh, of course, it was outside. Uh, sources, people who would normally say to you, you know, shut the fuck up or, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I had a music, a loosely termed music teacher in school, a man, lovely man called Seamus Ewings. And I I could write a whole book about that man just by himself. But he was trying to put a wee choir together at school. And I was 11 or 12 at this point. And, you know, our music lessons, we didn't really have music lessons. You kind of did your homework of the teachers you were scared of at the back of that class. And then, but I, I there was something about music. I couldn't understand why I was so distracted by it. And so he was going around the class going, okay, sing this note back to me now, boys. And he'd hit a note on the rectal piano. And, you know, most kids were smoking 40 a day and, you know, all that. So he couldn't even speak, never mind saying. He came to me and I sang the note back to him. And he goes, uh, do, do that again. And he did it, hit the note and did it again. He goes, stay after class. I thought I was in trouble. I thought to myself, oh shit, what have I done now? You know, because it's so easy to get in trouble. And he goes, um, okay, so just do this. And before I got a chance to go, oh no, no, I can't do that. He was very clever. He just distracted me with, do this and do that. And he goes, I think you have a voice. Ah. And I never forget it as long as I live. Because oh, God. teachers, people who are in positions of power, mm. usually say something negative to you and you take it to heart. So when they say something good to you and you take it to heart... It has an amazing effect on Did you. Did you believe in him before he said that? Well, I knew he was somebody who was a, a magician in okay. his own way. Mm. He was a music teacher. What was mm. that? And can I tell you something really revealing? Um, in terms of the stanza, in terms of the EGBDAF, you know, apparently back in the day you would learn every good boy deserves a favour. That's how you remember that line of oh, the notes on the strings, okay. right? Do you know how he remembered it and he mm. got us to remember it? Mm. Every good boy deserves a father. Oh, now, what does that tell you right away? That that man had an issue with his father. Yeah. Now, years later, I realized this. And I then learned many, many years later that um, he'd been abandoned oh. by his dad. And so his little mantra to himself was, every good boy deserves a father. Is it possible that he was um, acting as a kind of a father figure for some of you? Well, I wonder, because given that he... Yeah, I, I would I would put it out there that people who grow up kind of fatherless, even whether the dad is around or not, you know, if somebody's invested in your life, you've got them. Like, you know, boys need their dads and, and, and all of that, if they can have a version of it. Or, you know, if they've got two moms and that's what's going on, that's what's going on. You need somebody to love you and champion you, whatever the gender is. But certainly I think that given that we were the structure, as I always say, we, we were culturally configured at that time to behave in very strict uh, terms. Boys had short hair, girls had long hair, boys played football, girls skipped and roped and, you know, so that's the environment I grew up in. Now throw in heavy Catholicism into that mix. You know, you weren't even allowed to be straight, never mind gay. 
So you can, you, you can imagine, like they couldn't even get their heads around heterosexuality, <laughs> never mind any other version yeah, yeah, of it, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so what, a, what a crowded place. And then throw into the mix the British Army and the occupation and all of the things that I grew up around, like the hunger strikes, internment, seeing people shot dead right in front of me when I was a little kid. I mean, all of that mix. And so what do I, like I say, it is a miracle as my therapist used to say to me back in the day, Brian, it's a miracle you're alive, man. Never mind anything else. And somehow I had this wee voice. Yeah. Where did that come from? My parents aren't singers. You, you said know. something very interesting to me uh, recently. Um, I love talking about music. Mm. Um, I'm not a musician, but I love talking about music. You don't music. have to be a musician no, no, to no. enjoy it. Yeah, I love the genesis. I yeah. love creativity. I love the talking about the creativity. Yeah. Uh, anything from talking about why somebody would sing in a certain uh, genre yeah. to what is a hook. Yeah. Anything like that. Yeah. And you described, I think you described music to me or singing as like crying. I think singing is a version of crying. Tell me I'll, a bit I'll more about that. I stand by that. I think that especially if you are a man like I am these days or a wee boy and you know the whole wonderful nonsense of boys don't cry. So where do you put that feeling? Where do you put that despair? Where do you put that need to express? Yeah that feeling where do you put it yeah. some people put it in putting their fists up and beating the shout out of each other some people put it in their footballism some people put it in being able to take a car apart and put it back together yeah. again or they never find out where to put it and yeah. it's a constant uh, bereavement in its in its own way yeah. where I I, ver I must have sussed that I could actually it's much easier sometimes to sing something than it is to say it you know yeah. men only used to touch each other in my life at a funeral or at a football match yeah. the end there was never any, come over here now and sure, I'll put my arms around you and give you a wee, you know, hug. Yeah. You're, you're, not, you're feeling a wee bit upset, are you? you know, so come on, I'll give you a wee hug now. And, yeah. and, and none of that stuff ever, ever, ever happened. So for me, I must have very quickly sussed that I could be as emotional as I wanted while I was singing. Yeah. But then, could, but then I could leave it behind and go. Oh no, that's just a song. It was an outlet. That was just an outlet, and that's yeah. So is. in this, in this, in this non-heterosexual, non-gay, nobody's able to even express themselves sexually. Everybody is repressed, and also there is constant violence in front of you everywhere. The one way that you could give emotion yeah. was through your voice completely I remember hearing our local shop was the classic wee shop it sold you know albums that were uh, attached to like a washing line around the top and then tins of beans and half a school uniform and you know knitting needles and something else all sold in the same shop and there was this album by a group called The Flying Column I now know and the cover was the thing that really I used to go in and just stare at the cover because it was Ireland in the shape of an old woman and a spinning wheel, right? But it was in the shape of Ireland. And there was a song called Four Green Fields. Yes. Do you know that song? Yes, I do. And so there's a song, little did I know when I'd go in and I'd torture Patsy, the owner, to just please put that record on, put that record on. And he would. And again, they'd talk about, you know, Four Green Fields. One of them was in bondage. And in other words, they were singing about Northern Ireland. They yep. were singing about the place I was standing in. Yeah. And I didn't even know that. But I did emotionally know that. And so for me, it was always, I've, I've won kind of nice memory but I've always had a very tricky very difficult relationship with my parents I was I have been estranged for for many decades but I do have a lovely one nice memory of my mother standing at the kitchen sink and she's just loads of dishes of course all those people and she just kept singing and it's getting better that's all she'd sing just one line yeah and I'd be like I thought she was singing about our situation yeah but of course she was singing the Mamas and Papas. Stronger. Yeah, that was what was must have been on the radio or something. Yeah. But already I already understood that through a melody and a couple of words, yeah. you could sing about your situation. Even just singing the Mamas and the Papas there, Brian, yeah. uh, you reminded me of Mama Cass. Right. 
and how I love Mama Cass. I adore her. There was something very special about something her. Something authentic and, and, about her. And there her. was something very much. She used to mind people. Yeah. She used to take care of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, she was. Did just you ever a, see that clip of her in, on Joni Mitchell's show where they sing together? Oh, Google that now. That's okay. extraordinary. I've seen her with. Um, I've seen her with John Denver. Yeah. And yeah. uh, John Denver That's the first song I ever sang in public Yeah I think John Denver Annie's song uh, Yeah you feel Oh yeah that would fit suit you of course yeah. And No but he was just singing um, Country Roads Yeah I think And um, she just came in on the chorus And yeah. uh, she was just such a, what symp- a singer. Sympathetic harmonist harmonia. What a singer yeah, though Yeah yeah So my question The uh, next question is How is your voice? How, how is it right? You know how's it doing? How is your voice How is your How is your singing voice mm. Through all you've been through And as you mature? But, but two, so two-sided question yeah. You've had a lot of illnesses Yes And yes. you're getting a, lot a little of surgery. older and yeah. Surgery Yeah Yeah the, when they put the, the pipes down After both surgeries I was very very hoarse For about a month and yeah. it was So your that. speaking voice sounds like You've always be, 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 spoken no, 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 my, my speaking my speaking voice was also very hoarse and I'd have incredibly sore. This is when I was away having surgery and then recovering mm. in, in private, you know, because I wasn't even going out the door because I had to learn to walk again three times in my life so far, uh, t- twice from that particular surgery. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just remember saying in a slightly panicked voice to the surgeon, look, I'm a singer. I know you have to do what you've got to do, but please just be aware that my larynx are, you know, that's my thing. So, and both times they were like, it'll be okay. And sure enough, uh, both times I've survived. My voice is stronger than ever. Is it? The, yeah, the great thing about being a man and being in my 50s is this is when we get maturity in our voices. Is that right? Yeah. So if, if, I, if I was a trained singer, which I'm not, um, you know, I think of people like Tony Bennett, who's in his 90s. Now, God love him. He's on the slide. He's on the slide yeah. now. He's got dementia and so on. at some stage. Yeah, but he, even recently, a year and a half ago, he was still banging out the top notes in full voice. Right. So you use it or lose it. Mario, so it's as this, simple as that. So, so for you, you're, mm. you're in your golden period. I am. And so when you talk Talk about um, singers yeah. who, s- solo singers, yeah. who rely on their voice yeah. rather than necessarily on a big band. Well, who, who are known just for their voice, like people like Sinatra. Yeah, exactly. So was he in his prime in his 50s? Well, well, yes, he was. And, and But, you know, the hilarious thing about Sinatra was that they would do a gig. Then they would go to a recording studio and stay up all night and make a most beautiful record and then go to bed eventually. So they just lived at the, on their own clock, those people, I think. And back in the day, you made an album in one night or two nights, mm-hmm. maybe. And they were live cuts. So when I first started out, that's exactly what we did. And then having recorded so much with Van Morrison, that's exactly what he did and what he does. You set up in a circle and you record live until you're happy. Two or three or four takes the end. If you haven't got it by three takes, it's kind of not going to happen. Yeah. And then you move on. Yeah. So I'm fr- I'm kind of from that school too. Where are you? I wanted to I want to talk two musical things with yeah. the moment. You you have a you have a new, new album. My seventeenth album Folky. is called Folky. And is this what it does it says on the tin? It's yeah. Folky. Yeah, it is. So tell me about some of the songs on 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 this Folky. So I was listening to uh, all kinds of things, and you know how YouTube suggests things, and I had done um, a version. The old triangle with the Dubliners and Barney McKenna and uh, in Kilmaine in jail a few years before as part of a BBC thing, BBC thing that I was doing, and so I then got suggested to listen to Barney McKenna singing a song called "I Wish I Had Someone to Love Me," which is from the 1920s. It's an old country song, and there's wee Barney with his banjo in Vicker Street, obviously a few years ago before he died. And there's something about when men really sing vulnerably that really gets me between the eyes it, because it's so rare. Especially older men. Like when you hear Van Morrison singing Crazy Love on Moondance, it's the only song I've ever heard him sing in falsetto. He normally doesn't sing in falsetto. Yeah, yeah. And it's that much more moving because he's more vulnerable. So then that happened. And then what was suggested then was the Dubliners and Amel de May, that version of it. And then I thought to myself, that song, because the other pandemic that we were grappling with is loneliness. 
Never mind COVID. Right. There was the loneliness thing that really had a different temperature when you couldn't go anywhere. You weren't allowed out. You weren't well. I, as you know, I had a heart attack during that time and, and another yes. recovery. But I was listening away to, you know, I wish I had someone to love me, someone to call me their own, someone to sleep with me nightly. I'm weary of sleeping alone. It's a really simple chorus. So I started learning that and that kicked off the record. I played that to my producer Billy Farrell and he said to me you have to sing more of those songs now coincidentally my friend Neil Martin is a cellist in an Illon Piper played with me on the Georgie Best thing from Stormout he um, he sent me recordings that we'd done live with just quartet of things like Come All You Fair and Tender Ladies um, and things like that that I'd forgotten we'd done so suddenly the minute I decided I might make this folky record the song started to arrive mm-hmm. and so that's what we did we made it very very quickly and it only came out, well, we're 2023 now, but it, this time last year I was recording it and it came out like later on last year. Do you love and, it? Oh, I adore yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because the songs are hard to sing, like the Lakes of Pontchartrain, I learned from Paul Brady, for example. Ooh. So I dedicate each song to the person I learned it from. David Norris is on the line. Say hello. Oh, David, one of my favourite people. Thank you, David, for making it uh, possible for us queer folk to be legal. Thanks very much. Brian, I've been listening all the... I've been out for a walk and I have Mario and you in my ear hole. I wanted to ask you, if you were at a dinner party at home and you had a choice of five or six wonderful men or women from history or around the world... Or trans, or trans. Anybody? Yes. Go on. Okay, first of all, David, it would be you, of course, because yes. I, know a, I know what a storyteller, raconteur you are. Raconteur. I, I would love Judge Judy, please. I think she'd be good crack. Really? Yeah. Judge Judy Sine... Shine, 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 yeah. She'd be doling out the justice. Oprah Winfrey, of course. Uh, probably Ellen. Interestingly, most women. Um, I would think then maybe... Who else? Ellen. Yeah, Ellen DeGeneres. Do you find her interesting? Yeah, I do sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then Oscar Wilde, if we could coax oh, well, it uh, back. Brilliant. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. Um, and probably Marsha P., you know, the trans lady from, from the whole queer rights movement um, in New York. So probably her, Marsha P. Anton. So yeah, is that my is that that's my pretty dinner good. table? That's okay. a lovely, that's a lovely. I'd probably go for somebody like uh, Napoleon Bonaparte yeah. and Kenny Everett. Okay. <laughs> I met Kenny Everett once. <laughs> Kenny Everett was yeah. some man, wasn't he? Well, he was some man for contradictions. You know, there he was a major, major conservative and yeah. yet a gay man. That's right. You know, yeah. I met I met him. I was in the Royal Albert Hall, Royal Hall somewhere in London. And, you know, he used to do the Bee Gees and he used to do this thing where he'd go Massachusetts. Yeah. Think I'm going, you know, that so uh, and was slagging about their teeth. Yeah. So I was there the night he met the three of them. Oh, yeah. In in real life. Oh, you know, he was right? a tiny wee fella, really curly haired wee fella. But a weird, um, again, it's one of the things about living in the closet, I think, that you don't, you can't authentically be yourself. I mean, you can't stand beside Thatcher, who was bringing in Clause 28 to punish gay people and then be a gay man yourself. It's just, mm. it just doesn't sit well at all. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. But he was extremely funny. Another uh, call coming in before we get on. To this. Uh-huh. It's Marty Whelan. Say hello to Marty Whelan. <gasps> Marty, you know, Eurovision royalty that he is. I adore <laughs> Marty. I'm lovely to talk to you, Brian. Brian. But anyway, moving on. What I wanted to say was Eurovision 2023. Johnny Lydon. Opinion. I know. Isn't that interesting? Oh, people slagged me about, about, about doing the Eurovision. I think it's fascinating. Hmm. I think also there's a, a one of the best. Well, I, I just say, Marty that one of the best gigs I ever saw was in the Button Factory about five years ago and it was Pill 
and and Johnny and it was extraordinary. It was really amazing. I've been oh. a fan of his. I've read his book. No, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs is the, is the name of his book because we were always first on that list in England. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think it's a very interesting move. Mm. I understand that his wife is very ill and he's probably trying to organise some money maybe towards okay. her care because I think he's lost a lot of money. But um, yeah, it's very um, it's very funny. Uh, can I tell you a quick little quip when I was recovering? In ICU, not that long ago, a year and a half ago, after my quadruple heart bypass, there was a lovely wee fella from the Philippines who was looking after us, and he kept saying to me, Brian, Brian, you're a vision, you're a vision. And this wee woman, who was two beds along to me, from Burr, I think she kept saying to me, why is he calling you a vision? <laughs> and I said, I, no, he means he loves Eurovision. <laughs> yeah. The things that happen to you in ICU, I'm telling you. You are a vision. You are a vision. You are a vision. You are a vision, Brian. Brian, I love your vision. <laughs> Brian, I love your vision. I do love your vision. I think it's a guilty secret for a lot of people, but um, I think even that's come out of the closet these days, and people realise what a powerful... Even Madonna got on board. That's right. Um, a few people who'd be listening to the podcast might think I'm doing a Pat Kenny, and I'm not doing a Pat Kenny. And no. what I mean by a Pat Kenny is... Uh, Pat Kenny is like you said things like anyway when I was there and um, I had the cancer and when I was there and I had quadruple bypass and said, yeah. sorry yeah. why aren't you asking him about the quadruple bypass oh because we've talked a lot people, about that for those people who are listening to the podcast I am listening intently to what Brian is saying but I'm deliberately not asking yeah. him about the quadruple bypass or the cancer because he's talked that correct you know and, and I correct. think that it's safe to say enough people know I'm that I'm very story. happy about that I'm more Mario. I'm more into like yeah. I'm more into like if if uh, how you are like for example I would I'll ask you one question about that whole thing. Okay. Your whole health issues, yeah. but cancer, heart attacks and all that. Yeah. H- has it changed you at all as a person? Well, I mean I th- it can't not change you, you know, because yeah. you well, suddenly how? have other priorities because all of a sudden I was somebody who visited people in the hospital with cancer to cheer them up and all of a sudden I'm now that guy lying in a bed four stone underweight with stitches everywhere and a colostomy bag and a urostomy bag and all the things that I'm going through. Um I certainly, for me, honestly, uh, it, it reaffirmed who I am. I, I was a pretty empathetic person before, but it's made me even more so, I think, now. So if somebody cuts me up in traffic, for example, I now I'm thinking, oh, God, maybe they're rushing off Aww, to see somebody or sweet. they've had some bad news or, that's you know, nice. something. Maybe that's what's wrong with them. That's true. Empathy. You know, uh, so in it's traffic. made me just think <laughs> yeah. a wee bit deeper about things, I yeah. would say. So you felt that before your I, I, I thought you, I did. you were fairly empathetic. I, 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 reasonably, I think so. Anyway. I think and now so. you think it's heightened that power. I think so. Yeah, Aww. for sure. Wow. I hope so, anyway. Wow. How about your... I mean, you said a colostomy bag there. And yes. Your rostomy bag. Yeah. I, that's a, I'm a double bagger, yeah. as they say. Well, that's a fucking leveller, though, when it yeah. comes to your personal dignity. Yes, it does. But I, I do remember them very clearly saying to me, Brian, look, the choices really are a colostomy mm. bag or a body bag. Yep. You know, yep. I was going to die. Yep. So I've, no, I've now known loads of people who are now dead who were not dead not long ago and if they had been offered that lifeline they certainly would have taken it as a bag or two bags or whatever honestly do you feel phenomenally lucky yeah sometimes I do given what's happened to me in the last five years all of Mm. the things that happened I do in a way because it makes no sense to me really Mm. like like tomorrow I'm singing at a funeral of a a friend of ours who's our promoter yeah up in the north and he died very quickly uh, last week I was in the middle of a tour uh, with him and all that and you just think well that could have been me I could have had a cardiac something last week I don't know yeah. you know you don't know what's coming um, and I was the poster child for you know eating healthily not not a major yes. drinker never been a smoker yes moderation you know, of course all yeah. of those things um, and yet uh, like I said to you as you know my eldest brother and I had cancer together he had pancreatic cancer and he died very quickly of it and I'm still here now to tell the tale nearly five years later so mm. who makes those rules we don't know 
when we spoke last time um, on your um, Around the World in 80 Gays yes. uh, podcast with Catherine, which I enjoyed immensely. Doing, yes, we loved um, having you, you on. Said, you said, when I come on your podcast, ask me about the Spice Girls and accountants. Oh, and, well, oh because you're else. obsessed with footballers. So, oh, go on. okay, cut to a scene. I'm at the Brit Awards. Mm. It's the year that Freddie Mercury comes walking out with Queen to accept the Lifetime Achievement oh, Award. Yeah. And he died about six he months looks, later. He looked ill. He looked couldn't yeah. have looked iller and the, of course the rumour unconfirmed rumour was he had AIDS and he mm. was going to die and he certainly did not long after that so I'm at a table with my accountant Simon Fuller's 19 management team a, a lovely fellow called Andy who's my accountant and this very nice very nice looking man uh, with a Liverpool accent who is um, chatting to me and oh Brian what, oh Brian what are you doing and all that oh Rice and say oh yeah have you got a new album out and all that and you know it's going to yeah, I have fair play and I said to him so um, are you do you work for the firm do you work for the you know the firm and they all looked at me everybody was just like what and I went oh god I'm so sorry you're obviously not an accountant are you and he goes <laughs> no I'm not I went okay and I said so are you like a manager or something and again they were all like who the fuck is this guy? Like, what's he talking about? And what do you call that Liverpool? I'm, I'm now struggling to remember his name. Um, really good looking, red haired, McManaman. Oh, Steve McManaman. Steve McManaman yeah. uh, is exactly who it was. And they, so, and, I, and he said to me, uh, I've got, oh, Steve, I'm so sorry. I don't know anything about football. Yeah. And he goes, Brian, have you met me friends? Uh, Robbie Fowler right and I said me thinking I'm hilarious crack I said imagine if he was a footballer like with a name like Fowler wouldn't that be brilliant and they were all just like you fucking idiot here's my other friend Diego Maradona yeah. there. he's Ill my rice. plumber I mean I, I love Liverpool some of my best friends live in Liverpool I spent Christmas Day in Liverpool just gone so Spice Girls and Accountants uh, Spice Girls so so that was the year that, this, that Jerry comes out with the British flag dress on and all of that That's the, all of that kind of happened around the same time so Simon Fuller my manager started managing the Spice Girls and that really was the kind of kind of undoing of that little chapter of my career because Better Man was number one here. It was all kicking yeah. off. In England, we'd, we'd hit the top 20. Sure, it was all starting off well. And then the Spice Girls took over yeah. and I suddenly couldn't get a hold of my manager. The record company couldn't get a hold of him. So I was kind of very slowly derailed. Am I better? Not really. But at the same time, hmm. Okay. Uh, Van Morrison's on the line. Say hello to him. Oh, hi, Van. How are you getting on? Or Ivan, as I sometimes call you. Shut the fuck up for a second, <laughs> will you, Brian? He would never say that to me. Brian. <laughs> You're too nice. You're too kind. Nice as a biscuit, you're, man. You're stop n- it. You're too kind. You're too empathetic. I want you to stop and start becoming a grumpy cunt like me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Understand? Well, I, can I remind you, Van, how kind you are to me uh, behind closed doors? I believe me, I know it. Behind closed doors. You Still know. owe me 50 quid from the last <laughs> lunch we had, you bollock. <laughs> no, he's very generous, Van. Van, you're a very generous fella. Because, uh, first me? of all... Yes? I know. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, can I tell you, every time we ever did a gig together, I got paid immediately. Like, immediately. And then when I was doing a fundraiser, Never Van... again, you bollocks. <laughs> as you know, Van, when I we reached out to you for something to, for the, you know, the, the fundraiser, you've given me a signed guitar, which I still have because we missed, you know, it was a bit late you for the auction. Up. But I'm going to hold on to it and auction it at some point uh, for my charity. So thank you again in public. I can thank you on Mario's uh, pro- podcast. Up yours. <laughs> Sticking out. Are you a Van fan? Um, no, not really. Uh-huh. Not really. Um, I, I keep on trying to listen to Astral Weeks yeah. and I don't really get it. I do love Sweet Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love Georgie. Madam George. Madam George. Yeah. And I love when he goes, stopped off for some potted herring yeah. on the way to that other fucking place. Yeah. What's that place? Cro- uh, Crawfordsburn or something No, like the that. fucking song. Oh, the song. Wouldn't it be beautiful if it was like this? Oh, all the yes, time? that's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, anyway, I love yeah. it when he sings that one, but I yeah. don't generally like his stuff. I mean, 
It's a marvelous night. But I think oh, it's Orange Field. When I think about yeah. Moondance, all yes. I just think is American Werewolf in London, which is a great. Oh, do you? Film. Yeah, yeah. I know why you say that. I mean, it's amazing how many of his songs. But I've, have been I've never in really been a Van man, and I have don't... you ever seen him live though? Nope. Oh, you've got to do that. And I hate the whole. But you're a Sinatra fan. You love a bit of jazzy horns. No, not do really. You not? No, I like a little bit of Nelson Riddle, all right. But yeah, uh, but 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 I'd be more Sinatra for his phrasing and stuff. Yeah, I, sure. I I love the whole idea of, and fra- Sinatra was really into that thing of, of 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 the phrasing mm. that he would mm. almost speak in. Sing, well, see, I think sing, speak. if you asked me and nobody really does ask me yet, what is it like to sing with Van Morrison? I mm. would say it's like singing with a saxophone. Yeah, it's, he's I mean, he's there are moments in his voice when he sounds like a, mm. a, a saxophone. Mm. That's not the only way mm. I can put it. Yeah, I his get it. ability, the fluidity in it, yeah. the sudden punch of it sometimes yeah. when he you know yeah. barks out an amazing phrase. Do you know when we have this cliche of him that like he's grumpy mm. or whatever yeah. right, and all that? Mm. I mean, we're clearly talking about somebody who. But you don't know. No, no, but I don't know. But we're clearly talking, are we clearly talking about somebody who, does this man, because you'd know him a bit, right? So does this man adore music? Or is it, or is it, what relationship does he have with music? Well, I is think it, it an itch he needs to scratch? I, well, well, I would think that he has a very profound relationship with of it. Of course. But um, and it so, it, so it goes beyond trying to work out what it is. He would always say, if you want to know what my songs are about, listen to them, you know. Yeah. And you're only as good as your last gig. He would always say that to me. And I love mm. that because mm. he's absolutely right about that. I mean, here we are. Is he a pro? Pro. Well, look, all I can tell you is in the early 90s, when I was getting going and things were beginning to happen, Van Morrison was in his 50s and he a, a huge catalogue of hits behind him. And all he would have to do is just keep going forward, doing his shows and everything's fine. But what did he do? He heard me sing and he thought to himself, that's interesting. I'm going to bring that into my world. And mm. so we put a blues and soul review together. So I was an instrument in his orchestra, exactly, really. Exactly. It was, went way beyond backing singing and all that, because I'd be out the front singing loads of lead and playing guitar with him sometimes on, on Sweet Thing or on mm. uh, Into the Mystic or whatever it was, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think what a fascinating thing to have that appetite to say to his global audience. I mean, if you listen to A Night in San Francisco, my introduction is he, go, he goes, Where, get Brian, get Brian on. Right, you can hear this on the mic if you've got your headphones on. And he says, uh, I want to introduce a young friend of mine from Belfast. He's got a huge pair of lungs. That was my introduction from Van Morrison. Wow. Extraordinary. Class, Never yeah. forget it. How long did you go around the world with him? It's about six years. Yeah. And fa- I sang on five of his albums. Oh, wow. Yeah. And to this day, I still hear them. Like, for example, Days Like This is in the movie Belfast. Yeah. I didn't even know it was in there. Yeah. Um, as good as it gets, you know, when they lean forward to yeah. turn up the music on the car, yeah. Helen Hunt. Yeah. That's Days Like This also. Great film. Yeah. Great really film. What is it? Doesn't he say something memorable in that? Jack Nicholson. Oh, I'm sure he does. Jack Nicholson came to the shows you see in LA. I met him a bunch he of says times. Says like there. you make me want to be a better man or something. Oh like right, you okay. Want, you make me want to. Is that not one of my songs? Oh, that's, that's fucking, just <laughs> thank you, Mario. I was on Back the to me. I was on the Tommy Tiernan show uh, last. Were you? Um, Saturday. Oh, how did that go? It was very interesting. I bloody never watched the TV. I'm shocking. Look it back on the... I will, I will. Uh, and uh, anyway, I, uh, I like anyway, it. for reasons I won't... Um, well, for reasons that will become apparent in a second, yeah. I had an enormous reaction to my appearance. Right. Um, and not because I was hilariously funny, although I believed I was funny at times and places and the thing, but we, uh-huh. we talked for an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. And during it, uh, we reached the end of the conversation. And during the end of the conversation, I talked about damage. Yes. And how um, I have damage within me mm-hmm. and the, the damage is to do with um, the mum and dad and my family yeah and it's to do with how I'm not afraid or ashamed to talk about the damage that's within me yeah and um, I obviously spoke reasonably well because a lot of people have been in touch since yeah but, Good. but, but, but and that's all fine but talking 
to you today yes. brought me back to this very interesting thing uh-huh. um, about you and the damage that yeah. was caused by your relationship with your brother. Yeah. yeah. Um, will you just go through for people yeah. pretending they don't know if they don't know what it is? Because I really I'm like sure there this are loads story. Of people don't know. Yeah, there are. Do loads you mean of my don't eldest know. brother that I? W- You're the, the brother that you eventually reconciled. with. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, because I have died. four brothers. Okay, and, I'm sorry. The brother that no, died. Right. Yeah, he was called Bap Kennedy. Uh, Martin was his his birth name, but he, uh, you know, if you're the first in, of the boys in the in West Belfast, there's a massive bakery called Kennedy's Bakery, nothing to do with my family, and they had made these famous Kennedy's Baps, and so he was called Bap Kennedy. That was his uh, nickname. He was the first of us to get out and make music. It was the seventies. It was a punk era, and they ended up on the tube. Tube did a special from Belfast and all that with Jules Holland and Polly Yates and all that. And then I had been discovering my voice privately because he had left our house to live with our other granny and granda up in Andersonstown. So he left our house when he was 11. So I was about six when he left. And so then I grew up a bit more, lived with my other granny, my mother's mother. And yet we both, we seemed to be the only boys who had music in us. And so he formed this band. I, to cut a long story short, I sang at my sister's wedding and he came up afterwards and said, I didn't know you could sing. And I went, yeah, uh, or whatever. And so he auditioned me for his band. Yeah. And I joined the band. And then we, we did what we could in Northern Ireland. But very clearly, we needed to go to either America or London. London was clear, you know, closer and cheaper. Ended up in London together. But we, we never really had a calm relationship with each other. It was always very fractious. Um, you know, it, it's difficult to talk about somebody who's not here because they should obviously have the right to reply and all of that, right? But at the same time, I can only tell you about my experience of it. We grew up in a very broken family is the truth of the matter. So at no point did the leaders of the pack go, here's some glue, here's how you put that back together again. Now, be nice to each other, blah, blah, blah. Now you go and say sorry. You know, you're, you're the, one of the things that your parents must have at all times on hand is glue, mm. emotional glue, to put it back together again when it breaks. And some families do not do that. And so you grow up in a very broken place, unable to fix anything. Now, throw into that mix a broken land, like the song says, Northern Ireland being smashed to bits every day by bombs and things. So I grew up in a very, very broken, it seems irreparable place where things are not fixable. So then when we got into adulthood, sure, we didn't have the skills to do that. I mean, I certainly got into therapy and started to work things out. But again, therapy is learning the language of honesty, I would say. But it's also like learning German, where all of none of your mates speak German. So there you are speaking German because you've learned to speak it fluently and they have the fucking clue what you're saying. So therapy is the same thing. It's like you speak with a degree of honesty and most people are not that honest, really. And if you call people up on it, then they go, what is your man talking about? Like, all that. So I got deeper into music and again, I spent a lot of time on my own. I'm naturally a bit of a heron. I always say this, you know, I, I came from a big family. So my deepest wish was to be on my own. My fantasy when I was a little kid, when I was feeling particularly broken, I'd sit on my front step and imagine my real parents coming along in a car, a big car, and, and looking around and folding me up in a lovely blanket, put me on the back seat and go, right, come on, we're, you're Aww. safe now. And so I fantasized about that for years yeah. and years and years because clearly the home place was so broken and so battered. And I grew up in a very violent home and a very violent place outside the home. So there was nowhere for me to take any kind of safety. I understand. Yeah. Until I was singing. I, yeah. I realize this now. I didn't realize that at the time because that's far too far too deep for a little boy. Yeah. But certainly, yeah, I think that's why I'm. I but, hold it so preciously. Yeah, but also just to just to shine the torch just back mm. on your brother a bit. Mm. I mean, one of the things I found interesting was that you were estranged for a long time. We were, we were, we did tr- occasionally try um, and 
see if we could kind of calm things down and it just never worked. Now, unfortunately, again, you can never plan these things. I had heard that he'd been invited up to sing with Van Morrison on stage way before I even met Van, yeah. right? And I remember thinking, that's brilliant because his my hero was Joni Mitchell, Joni Mitchell. His hero was Van. And so I remember thinking, well, that's great. Good for him. That'll blow his head off. He'll love all that, right? Because we were signed. It was like fate was waiting around to go, would you two hurry up and split up so as we can get on with everything? So they signed to MCA. I signed to RCA. And off we went, making our records, right? Still not speaking to each other, both living in London, all that kind of thing. And then... um, I heard about that. Now, unbeknownst to me, I then heard a few years later when I'm in the middle of an American tour with Van doing all that, um, that he'd been offered to work with him and basically been offered the tour that I ended up doing, I think. I didn't know any of that until many years later. And for whatever reason, things changed. I don't know why. Um, And so, as we know then, uh, later on, you know, there was legal things going on. Like, It all got ugly, you know, because things started to become kind of, there was money involved and all kinds of things involved. So it's hard to go into it in, in depth because it's not fair on him. He's not here to answer. But at the same time, um, I had to get a lawyer. I had to protect myself and all of that. And then out of the blue, I heard he was diagnosed with terminal cancer in 2016. And I reached out immediately. And, you know, my, my motto these days is doesn't matter about what's don't worry about what's right or what's wrong. What's kind? What's yeah. the kindest okay. thing to do? OK, so I well, that's a really nice that's you know, a way of changing the question. Yeah. So I reached out to him uh, via that's his kind. wife through the website. And sure enough, we arranged to meet uh, and I hadn't seen him for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And look, it was it was shocking because clearly he was on the ropes. He was very, very sick. He was very medicated. And we had we just talked about nothing actually really talked mm. about music mm. and what are you up to and I just recorded a duet with Boy George and I was telling him that and wow. and he was oh what Boy George what really and we're chatting and I and they'd asked me to bring some recent music of mine up so I did I left a bunch of CDs that I'd made that he probably had never heard and I I lots of his music I've never heard either you know and so we kind of just did that but then he had to cut it short after about forty five minutes he was in terrible shape that was the August he was going into palliative care a few weeks later and then he died on the 1st of November that year 2016 and, was and that the last time you saw that's him? that's last yeah August 2016 was the last time I saw him and then he died and and then the night that he was buried I did a little tribute to him down in Kerry I had a gig in Kerry and so we did that and so the great thing is I remember saying to him before we left I said to him look his wife said to me you can't hug him you know he's really sore and I said okay and I said look I can't hug you I know you're sore and he goes oh let's try so we tried and then I said look just going forward know that when I think of you going forward I think of you really peacefully and I hope that you think of me peacefully now because all the stuff that happened before doesn't matter does it no. like just doesn't matter no, it doesn't. so I'm going to hear your music in the future and I'll think peacefully of you and that's what happens I occasionally hear his music on the radio or when I'm out and about and I go oh there he is yeah. there he is that's good okay. are you are you a, an emotional person Brian I know yeah. th- I know that you're very in tune with emotions yeah, but that doesn't necessarily you are an emotional person oh, do you, what do you mean by that though do you I mean, think there's I, a difference do I cry easily or something is that I what think you mean? being emotional uh, <laughs> yeah I meant do you can you I think being emotional refers to the idea of emoting mm. it doesn't necessarily mean being in tune with your emotions yeah, sure um, what are you emotional? Do you emote? I, I the last time I emoted with water from my eyes was Kate Bush at uh, you know Hammersmith, and she went into the back, the B side sequence of Hounds of Love, and I just lost it. I couldn't hold back. Yeah. Um, music is is able to unlock that in me much much easier than humans. I think stuff. Uh, makes yeah. Me too. Yeah. I, music, I must our say, film, our um, surprisingly, even some moments of sport unlock that. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, sport, I'm not part of that tribe. No, but uh, sport is is. It's that often, tribe is not my vibe. Sport is often about somebody's journey, yeah. or uh, or or a team's journey, um, or a, 
are a kind of a, a concerted, unified effort that I has been that, that, that has been consistently failing, but that moments in life can change and flip. Right. And then you see yeah. this unexpected light. And it can be a moment of revelation uh-huh. and a moment of kind of almost divine revelation. Right. Yeah, see, I, and I accept all of that. And, but I, I think when you're excluded from that, those games when you're a little boy, as I always say, my mother had, you know, uh, four boys, a girl and a girly boy, you know, and the girly <laughs> boy would be me. And, be, and so I was never included in the sports. Yeah. Um, so it was always something that was outside of me. So when, when I sing it, say the rugby, like I have done very proudly before yeah. for Ireland, it really hits you hard how gladiatorial it is yes. how, I mean it's really it's like watching Cuchulain yeah. coming up against somebody That's else it. I mean when I see Paul O'Connell yeah. coming down that field you just think Jesus Christ like he's a he's a he's an Ardri he's a hiking <laughs> he's a he's a warrior coming at you you know and, and, and that is a very tribal thing it's very exciting to watch it mm. and there's a, a component of it too that I find very uh, sexy in terms mm-hmm. of that masculine strength, yeah. I find that very attractive. Absolutely. Um, but um, certainly, I always feel a little bit on the outside if when I see Croke Park full of people or As something. you say, it's not quite your tribe. Yeah. It's not my tribe. Yeah. But I uh, admire it, though. Oh, yeah. Um, love, dating, yeah. loneliness, yeah. Um, Tinder, Grindr. Yeah, all those uh, things. Dating. You, you, yeah. you have a... You kind of... You, you, you kind of... Uh, you kind of made out earlier that you can be a little bit of a loner at times. I, I'm, I got too good so at it. I'm too good at it. You're not necessarily a serial uh, monogamist even. I've never, do you know, I've never had a proper fella. Really? I've never lived with anybody romantically ever in my life. Okay. I've had a lot of sex. Yeah. A lot. And that once I, we got past the, tr- the 80s terror of HIV yeah. and, and all of that and we all yeah. calmed down a bit and all that. Um, can I ask I, you a personal question? Sure. Okay. Um, are, you, are you a sexual person? Yeah. Right. Okay. Very much so. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, because I'm not really a big drinker. I'm not, I've never been a druggie, all of those things. But I certainly... <laughs> this is where the energy goes. Right, exactly. So, yes, I there would have been a time in my 40s when I... Uh, yeah, I had a ridiculous amount of sex. Absolutely. I mean, and, and enjoyed every You know, this is it. going on the top of the episode. This is our promo. <laughs> it's just perfect. That, that's your decision, <laughs> not mine. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't mind saying it because, uh, you know, but... I was Keith Duffy's about, on the line, by the way. Is he? Say hello. We call him Teeth Duffy now. Yeah. He's had the gorgeous Say teeth hello. done. Hey, Keith, how are you getting on? How are you, buddies? <laughs> I've been listening to this podcast for an hour and a half. And I just, you broke me. When you said I've had a ridiculous amount of sex, <laughs> then I went, he's the same as me. Mm-hmm. Buddies. We're buddies. <laughs> Different sexes, same buddies. That's right. He, Keith, 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 can I just say to you, you are one of my favourite people because you're you're just so kind and giving and you were so sweet to me when I got really unwell. Cheers, buddy. And also, Stephen, when Stephen Gately was, you know, God love him, had that awful... I mean, you really see real that what you're made of when your buddies get into that, or indeed when they pass away, so sadly. So um, he's Keith is one of our great gentlemen, I think. I agree. Mm. And I had him on my podcast only a few weeks did you? ago. Oh, did you? And it was one of the most... I bet that was fascinating. Un- it was a really great... Co- because he Because he came open. Yeah. And uh, my wife, uh, who listened to it, just went, fuck me, Keith yeah. Duffy blew yeah. me away. Oh, uh, yeah. He is you, real. You think you have that man's number, but you don't. Nope. You don't. There's a lot to him. That's right. A lot to him. That's correct. And he's a real goer. Yeah. And a real... A, tr- a trier and a striver yeah. and a giver to life. He puts out to life. Yeah, he, he puts I, energy out there. Yeah, he's re, he's a real person. He is, you know. I would say he's a really deadly guy. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I'm glad you know him. Yeah, in that I way. do. I'm glad you know him. That I'm way. lucky to know him in that way. Um, uh, and, and that's brilliant. Professor Luke O'Neill is on the line. 
don't know what of course in. he is. Look, the omnipresent Luke O'Neill. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> great to talk to you. Loving the loving the the chat there, and the data is saying that um, actually, you know what I find, Brian? There was nothing about your rectum cancer. I was very interested. Yeah, in well about done. You. Could have loved to talk to you about your rectum. Um, <laughs> I'm normally I'm, talking out of my rectum, but anyway, <laughs> I'm finding <laughs> it very. There. I'm, I'm finding very, it very hard to keep my gay face straight. Um, anyway. I loved hearing about the quadruple bypass. Yeah, and just I bet the you did. Potential COVID, long COVID implications. Yeah. I haven't seen you since Electric Picnic. How are you? No, but that's what I wanted to ring you about, uh-huh. actually. Um, right. I don't know if you're aware, but I'm a bit of a muso myself. I uh, kind of play guitar. I saw you playing with Mundy. Yeah, Mundy. Not long ago. And uh, listen, mm-hmm. I know you're going on tour with Bogey or so. The, I am, the, indeed. The data, yes, I am. The data coming in is telling me that. <laughs> Uh, and I was wondering, do you need a backing vocalist yes. so I could be your Brian Kennedy to Brian Kennedy, uh, like you were Brian Kennedy to Van Morrison? Well, I think we should at least give it a go. Give it a go, yeah. 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 Okay, we're not committed too much, but at least let's do one. I asked together. Mario for your number earlier yeah. on. He said he didn't have it. Oh, it's dead easy. It's nine nine nine. Just ask for me. Nine nine nine. Long uh, yeah. COVID. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Great stuff. Okay, listen. Um, so next year, Glastonbury, you and me. Yes, hopefully together at last. Look, we call the tour together at last. Brilliant, brilliant. That's brilliant. But Luke O'Neill, uh, I knew you would be ringing. He said he wanted to. Brian, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million for talking to me. My pleasure, Mario Rosenstock. (laughs) And my thanks to Brian Kennedy for coming in and talking to me. He gave me his album at the end and I listened to it at home and really, really enjoyed it. Um, Thanks to you for listening. Um, Get in touch if you feel like it with suggestions for guests or even sketches, which I always enjoy your suggestions to. MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. Come and see me on tour, Ticketmaster, um, for tickets. See you same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.